Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Bring it in, baby. Welcome to this week's episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome to Coco Caliente. I like that. Do 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 what you were about to do. Welcome to Coco Caliente. Oh yeah, the shimmy and everything. I love it. Very mm-hmm. Latino. All right, so yes, welcome to. I guess this is our official tenth episode. Yep. Right. If you're not including the intro, this is our tenth episode of Double Coco- Digits. I know it's crazy. Feels like uh, time's flying by. Honestly. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's dragging. Ten- no. The stop. ball and chain of stop. podcasting. Oh my gosh, the agony. <laughs> oh, you're funny. Yeah. So anyway, as always, uh, we want to start this episode right away into the reviews because like always we really appreciate you guys and uh, your feedback and positive vibes really keeps us going so true i'm gonna let nicole take it away okay so this one is by m heath seven wholesome and hilarious the perfect combination hey i love 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 listening to this podcast they are so well spoken together without trying to put off the image of perfection Yep. Super real and relatable with an addition of a little spice. That's you. <laughs> the caliente. I drive a lot, so I listen to a ton of pods, and this one is quickly becoming my favorite. Oh, that's awesome. Well, know. you know, thank you. We're really happy. It's and a good one. Yeah, we're definitely not perfect, nor do we try to pretend to be. No. Uh, so, as per Nicole's peeing her pants, that's just one of many instances where we're not perfect. And right now, Victor has his shirt off because I turned up the heat. Oh, my gosh. Hot. In the podcasting room, it was cold. I admitted that. But I was like, well, just put a sweater on. And she's like, she insisted on turning on the heater. And then now it's really hot in here. That's true. It's too hot. And the thing is, we have a uh, hot water heat. So it's like we have pipes that run through the house mm-hmm. uh, along the edge of the floor. And so once you turn it on, when you turn it off, it's still hot. True. <laughs> Takes a little bit. But anyway, I'm going to jump into my review. This is from Wanda. Uh, yeah. Wanda Maximo. All right. Mm. <laughs> Wanda Maximo. Fairly odd parents. Oh, Maximo <laughs> also reminds me off of the wedding planner. Wasn't his name Maximo? I don't know, but that's oh, funny. Okay. Uh, anyway. So yeah, five stars. Amazing. My son and I are huge fans. We watch y'all on Big Brother and now we love listening to y'all on your awesome podcast. My son is nine. My son, who is nine, is a huge Vic fan. Thank you very much. 
Thank you guys for being so funny and down to earth. We look forward to your weekly podcast. Vic, can you give a shout out to my son, Roy, Aww. from Chicago, please? Yes, I can. Shout out. What's up, Roy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would mean the world to him. Thank you, guys. Yeah, so that Thank was you. sweet. Yeah, we appreciate I that. I had a fairly odd parents bowling ball. You did? Yeah, that was my first bowling ball. And people say when I had my long hair... That yes. I look like Juan Dissimo. Yeah. And that you were the nurse. That he, like, that was his girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, that's what we were going to be for Halloween. I forgot about and that. And then I cut my hair. Yeah, when you cut your hair, you ruined all of my... Tarzan and Jane. Yep, he ruined all of my <laughs> Halloween dreams. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that, but the beast... It was awesome. Yeah, it was. He was awesome. We have somebody on the show today, pretty mm-hmm. special uh, guest. And actually, you have a lot more experience with him than I do. He's a friend of ours, collectively, yeah. but you know him more than I, so I'll let you introduce him. Oh, uh, yeah. So Derek Lavasser um, played Big Brother 16 with him, and he freaking won. So <laughs> anyways, he's he's very successful at what he does. Former police officer. I'll let him get into all of that. He has a true crime show. Um but yeah, super good friend. We stayed in touch since Big Brother 16. Yeah, he was there uh, for the proposal mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah. And I mean, he's going to be in our lives for a long time. So, uh, For sure. Great guy. Uh, yeah, so here's Derek. We know you because of yeah. Big Brother, but our listeners might not know you. So if you can give us just a little background on yourself, like what you do. Yeah, so I've been a cop since I, well, I was a cop. Uh, I got a, I was a cop at 20 years old, one of the youngest in Rhode Island. Oh, wow. um, I was uh, in law enforcement for 13 years before I retired in 2017. I retired in 2017 to open my own private investigation firm, which was kind of the brainchild of uh, a show that I'm currently on called Breaking Homicide on Discovery ID. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. essentially, yeah, essentially on that show, um, families reach out to us and ask for us to look into their loved one's death. And we get about anywhere 1,000, 2,000 submissions, and we can only usually pick six to eight. But wow. based, based on the six or eight that we pick, we travel to their hometown, and I, I, I do what I would do on any investigation that I was hired for and use the resources that are available to me, work with police if I can. And essentially, you know, are we going to solve it in five days? Probably not. But what we're trying to do is, you know, reinvigorate the case, find something new, maybe a different angle, use the latest science and technology to reanalyze some of the evidence yeah. and hopefully hopefully push the ball forward and 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 get it back in the forefront because in some of these cases they're 10, 20, even 30 years old. So yeah. um, that's oh, wow. that's that's so that's what I that's what I do currently. So like I said between the uh, private investigation firm and the show, um, that's that's my current roles. Um, as far as break, uh, Big Brother, you mentioned that in 2000, what was that, Nicole, 14? 2014? Yeah. Yep. 2014, <laughs> I was, um, at the time, I had been on the job for about 10 years. I had just got out of undercover work. So I was in undercover work for about four years. And at some point, whenever you're under too, you know, too long, the chief will come to you and say, hey, listen, it's been about four years since you've put on a uniform. We need to reel you back in because you start to forget that you're a cop. You really yeah. Do. And actually, I want to touch base on that before we get too far. Like, yeah. what is it like yeah. being undercover for four years? My gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of what you would think. Like a lot of times you hear people say, hey, listen, like, you know, it's not what it looks like on TV. But in a weird way, like it kind of is. The only difference is like 
So I worked for a local police department. So I was in, in charge of the special investigations unit. So we focused on drugs, guns, and gangs. Okay. And what, what happens is there's task force. So even though I'm a local police officer, I work with the ATF, DEA, FBI, gotcha. uh, Secret Service. And, and what happens is, let's say the DEA has a case where they're looking for, in my case, a, a young white kid that looks like he's in college. And obviously this was years ago, not now. But they may not have some someone in their task force that looks like that. Mm -hmm. So what happens is they'll reach out to some, you know, my department or another department and say, Hey, do you have any UCs who fit this, you know, this role that we're looking for? And if, if I do, they'll loan us out. So basically the department will say, yep, you can have him. He's going to come work with you guys. And essentially whatever comes of that investigation, whether it's um, forfeitures or, you know, whatever it may be, let's say we seize a million dollars, we'll get like five or 7% of that after the forfeitures are done. So um, that's the incentive for a police department to say, Hey, yeah, you can have our undercover officer. Um, But that's on a federal level. And then there's the local level. Like I was doing a lot of, you know, in-house cases where we had confidential informants that, you know, we would arrest someone, we flip them into a confidential informant. Mm-hmm. They they go out there, we wire them up, they make buys, controlled buys for us. And we, we develop, you know, a case based on that, get a search warrant, execute the search warrant, and then hopefully get rid of some bad guys who are selling drugs in our city or selling drugs near schools, things like that. So yeah. it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. The opposite side to that is um, I actually wrote a book called The Undercover Edge, and I talk about this throughout mm-hmm. the whole book. The other issue with undercover work is once you have a family. Uh-huh. So I, I initially started when I was when I was single, and I was kind of on my own, and then I was dating my girlfriend, now wife, Jana. And what happens is you start to arrest a lot of bad people, and you become very close with these guys, so they take it personal. Yeah. And what happened to me was I started having um, hits put out on me, and, and one wow. of the, the worst hits I had put on me, I was... I was uh, coming into work and my chief calls me in and he says, listen, we got to talk to you. And and what had happened was there was an individual in prison who was developing a plan to kill me. And oh, what he was geez. doing, he was, he, he was talking about it with his cellmate. And fortunately for me, his cellmate was uh, um, an informant of mine and he got a letter out to my department through the correctional officers. But essentially what they had planned to do was there was a couple guys on the outside they had bought the guns. They were gonna. They had them in a bag in a river near my house, and they were planning on uh, shooting up my house when I came outside. Oh my god! Yeah, the issue I had with that, and it's so funny how this works. But the issue that I had with it wasn't what they were gonna kill me because that's kind of like part of the game. Mm-hmm. It was that I had an eighteen. I had a young daughter at the time yeah. before, and I was you know I took offense to that because there's this unwritten rule in like our world where it's like you mess with the guy, but you don't mess with the family. Yeah. They're, and, they're and yeah. Bystanders in the whole thing. There's, 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 it's so funny to say that there are standards in that world, but there are, mm-hmm. and there's certain things you don't violate. And like, I had a wife and uh, I had a daughter in the house and they were going to, you know, take us all out. And I mm-hmm. didn't like that. So I had to actually relocate to a new location for multiple weeks. That individual got out of prison and I, I don't mind saying this cause I wrote it in the book, but you know, I didn't press charges against him because I would have had to divulge my informant and that informant saved my life. Gotcha. So I, I didn't do that, but I will tell you, and I have to be vague with this. I did see this individual who had set up the hit um, a few months later while I was off duty. No and, way. Uh, it was Scary. in a parking lot. It was in a parking lot. Well, I, pr- I approached him and we'll just say <laughs> Victor, Victor might understand where I'm going with this. But let's just say him and I, um, we had a conversation um, and we we work things out like gentlemen. I'll just say that. And yeah. there were there were no arrests made. Um, whatever happened that day happened that day. 
Um, but we came to an understanding, um, just him and I, men, at, in the back of a parking lot, and we 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 worked out our we worked out our differences. We'll yeah. say that. <laughs> so so, but it was a mutual thing. It wasn't like you know, it was a mutual thing. And he actually admitted that he didn't know I had a kid, and and then I said, well, it's just not going to fly with just words. And we 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 worked it out. We came to an understanding, and we went our separate ways. But it, yeah, crazy world, crazy world. You know what I want to start doing again, baby? What? I want to start doing HelloFresh again. Yeah, yeah, that was really easy on us <laughs> because I don't eat meat and you eat meat. Yeah. And so it was super easy because you got, I got the vegetarian option. And I got the the normal classic. Yeah. But okay, so for people that don't know what HelloFresh is, it's basically they send you a box in the mail and it's meals. It has everything you need. It's already portioned out, has all the mm-hmm. ingredients. Yeah. It tells you step by step how to make it. Max time that it'll take you is like half an hour. And the cool thing is too is like when I'm going to the grocery store and I'm trying to get a meal for Victor and I, not only do we eat super differently, but it's also really hard to gauge how much product I need for like produce even for two meals or one meal for just one or two people. Yeah, or even like changing it up. Right, because right? like, it's like, okay, let's eat the same thing all week so I can just like... <laughs> it's easier. It's easy. So this is, yeah, you love the variety. Oh, I had, when when you were cooking me my dinner and then mm-hmm. I had it for lunch the next day, it, yeah, was, it was perfect, awesome and it was amazing. It, it felt like we were at a restaurant. Yeah, and it was easier on me too. Yeah, so you guys should definitely try it out. And uh, for our listeners exclusively, for $60 off, so that's $20 off your first three boxes, go to HelloFresh.com forward slash coco 60 and enter code coco 60 so again for that 60 dollars off which is 20 dollars off your first three boxes go to hellofresh.com forward slash coco 60 and enter code coco 60 so like like what you were saying like once you get in to that and like for four years you know what i mean like how how do you like when you're in a situation, like I imagine you had to do some things that weren't necessarily legal to be in that world, right? Yep. Just yep, to be absolutely. part of that world. So is I don't you know, I don't want to get too much out of you that you're not allowed to say, but is there stuff that you can say, like being in a certain situation or like what was the craziest thing that you felt like you had to do to like not blow your cover? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the, you know, drugs uh, in the drug game, like people think, oh, if I can get this undercover cop to use drugs and he can't like if you sit in front of someone, you say, hey blow this line i don't know how far you guys want me to go but if there's drugs yeah. Yeah. in the room and and they say hey listen we want to test you you got to do this this you know narcotic in order for us to trust you they think that if i say yes and do it then there's no way i could be a cop right. that's not that's not true yeah i have to disclose that information in an affidavit but mm-hmm. if i'm in a multi-million dollar or, uh, operation and someone asked me to try the product that i was buying or going to you know sell mm-hmm. i would do it I yeah. would do it. So I was definitely in situations where, um, for my own safety, because if you don't do it, you run the risk of them killing you. Yeah. Um, so you do what you have to do in the moment. And people think like, oh, you know, if you if you do it, then there's no way you could be a cop because it's inadmissible in court. That's not true. Even with um, prostitution stings, this happens a lot. You know, like mm-hmm. women will try and get you. Like I, I did a lot of operations where I would drive up in a car and, you know, solicit, you know, prostitutes for sex right Mm -hmm. and they thought that like if you uh initiated the conversation then it wasn't you know it wasn't admissible well in reality if they were the ones that brought up uh monetary value in exchange for a sexual favor it's still fair so Mm -hmm. yeah there's like all these little things but yeah i definitely had to do some things that i'm not proud of that i've never done outside of work but again it was for a bigger cause you know it was 
that's what my job was. And and to Victor's point, like, yeah, after four years of it, you don't want to continuously do that, especially when you have a family. And that single life, it's a little bit easier before you have kids. It's mm-hmm. a little easier. But, you know, I, I reluctantly agreed to come out because I actually didn't. But you actually forget that you're a cop. I started to, like... I would be, I would be stopped by police officers while I was undercover, and you know they weren't like the worst, but I have <laughs> I have co- I have cops that would like frisk me, and they frisk me pretty hard, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Victor's probably been there, and you know you give them a little lip, and they you know they do a little extra, and you know I was saying in my head like I can't. Are we allowed to swear on this podcast or no? Uh, yeah, no. you can. Yeah, yeah you, no, can. you can. I, I'd say to myself, you know, I can't fucking wait until this case is over, and I'm going to expose you, you know, for being an idiot cop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So little things like that, but. I was glad to come out. I got I got promoted and I became a sergeant. And that was kind of what led into the Big Brother because we kind of went on a tangent there. But once I got out on undercover work is when I had been watching Big Brother for like three or four years while I was undercover. Because one of the negative things about undercover work is you really can't go out because you run the risk of walking into people that oh, you're investigating. Being seen so, in public. Yeah. So my name, you know, my name, my first name was always Derek. I had like a different ID, like a legitimate license of a criminal history. And Jana had to know that like if someone came up to me and it wasn't someone who was familiar to her, she'd either continue to walk away like she wasn't with me or she would just play up or say as little as possible so I could get out of the situation. Mm. That's um, crazy. No way. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I always had I always had to wear a gun, you know, like we could, you know, movie theaters and things like that. Like, you know, it was it's different. It's different. So it was it was good to get out. And during that time of being undercover, we didn't go out a lot. We ate in a lot. We didn't go a lot of places. And I would always watch this show, Big Brother, because mm-hmm. I got so I got so interested because I'm like, damn. If I was ever on that show, I think I'd do pretty good because this is what I do for a living. (laughs) And um, I could never apply for obvious reasons being undercover. Mm -hmm. So when I got when I got, you know, promoted, it was about a year after I was 30. It was my bucket list. And I said to Jana, I said, listen, would you mind if I send in a video? It's not going to go anywhere. But would you mind if I I send in a video? Because just because I keep watching the show and like I'm, I'm being that guy where I'm like, if I was on that show, I'd crush it. Like, I'd be that exact guy I hate. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I applied, and then you kind of know that you guys both know the history of how that goes. Yeah. No one expects to get a call back, right. and then all of a sudden you do, and then before you know it, you're in, you're, you're going into the house on, you know, opening night. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, what the hell just happened? Was that, like, easy? So when you got the call back and you went to finals and everything, was Jana, like, cool with you going on the show and everything, or was there a big discussion? It, it, it was two things. One, it was so funny because when she said that I could apply, she goes, with my fucking luck, you're going to get on. You watch. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, there's no way. And then, and, and then, you know, we both didn't think it was going to happen. And then as you go through the process, you start to realize from the response right. that you're getting, it's more and more likely. And then right before I left, I made the decision that I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And Jana was like upset. She would, would never stop me, but she was upset that I was going to be leaving. We mm-hmm. had a daughter. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, she just sat me down and said, I want to know why you're doing this. And I looked at her and I thought about it and I said, listen, if, if I go, I'm going to win. I promise. Yeah. I'll win. Wow. I said, if I go, I'm going to win. She's like, you better. And I was like, I'll win. I'll, I'll, you know, as a, co- as a cop, we weren't rich by any means. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we, we weren't rich. We weren't, you know, weren't living the glamorous life and having a child and stuff. It, it, things get expensive. Mm-hmm. So by no means were we poor, but we were very, you know, we we're middle class. So it, um, half a million dollars was an extreme amount of money and mm-hmm. it could change our lives. I didn't want to be on TV. I didn't care about anything afterwards. Right. I just wanted to go on 
have fun playing a game that I thought would be cool, but most importantly, treat it as work. Like, try to really win because mm -hmm. if I went there and I didn't win as a 30-year-old father, what did I really gain? Some social media followers? Like, that's nothing for me. Yeah. So it was, it was win or bust, in my opinion, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it flourished into a whole lot more than True. you could ever imagine, you know, your <laughs> book and the show. Yeah. And Isn't that weird how that works? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One decision. Yeah, yeah not expecting right. One, it. It's the weirdest thing. And it, it, what's funny is I find that a lot of the people who don't have this, like, this motive to go on these shows for that reason, like for TV or for mm -hmm. a book or whatever, those are the people that usually end up having something happen for him. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, yeah, that's a really good point. I see that too. And, and it to, happens like organically and yeah. naturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to continue on, I guess that like you, you hit on your show uh, earlier, um, but I, I want to get into that a little bit more. So how, when you guys are going through, what, what's like your criteria for picking this? And like, do you have any like behind the scenes stuff? Because I, I feel like it seems like a lot of work, right? It, and you it, only it really get a percentage is. of it on TV. You know what I mean? Dude, you're nailing it. Literally, we're there for five days filming, sixteen, uh, 12 to 16 hour days. Wow. But we're, we're doing the investigation like a week or two prior for like two weeks straight, 12 hours a day. So mm. there's a lot of work wow. once we get into the case. But leading into it the selection process is the worst because i'm getting a lot of these submissions i see every single submission that's being considered and to read these family stories and then to talk to them um they're like pleading for help yeah and it's like to say no is the hardest thing in the i wish i could do every single yeah. one and my my intent would be to do all the ones we do but as far as criteria, it's a couple things. First and foremost, we will never do a case where the family's not on board. You see a lot of shows where mm. they'll highlight a case for, you know, whatever reason, and the family really wants no part of it because they're either they moved on from it, they don't want to open old wounds, whatever the yeah. case may be, yeah. they don't want to be involved. If that's the case, I will not do it. I will not do the show. I will not do the episode because I'm not going there and opening up anything that the family doesn't want open. Yeah. They, they right. are asking yeah. for our help. Um, and I confirm that before I go out there. So that's number one. That's mm -hmm. the number one priority. The second thing would be to have police cooperation. The funny thing is in my first season, we had very little police cooperation because we were a new show. After season one, I, I think I can say this. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but <laughs> I, I can tell you that on out of the eight cases we did this season, we had police involvement where I was in the police station working with them six out of eight cases. Oh, oh nice. that's awesome. That's so, really cool. So, I mean, that's something I haven't said publicly, but it's something where people now have a, a proof of concept. They have some something to go back. The police departments have something to go back and look at to see that we're legitimate. And yeah. it really, it really changed the way the show is filmed and how we conduct our investigation. Because last year, I was on the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. Now I'm getting access to everything. I can't always divulge everything on the show that they're sharing with me. Yeah, but I, but I have access to everything. And I, I think a big part of that is I started the private investigation firm, the Break Group, and basically now they can go back and look at that, look at our history, see what we've done, and that also opens some doors for us as well. Hey, Vic, what kind of cologne are you wearing today? You smell really good. It's different than my normal, huh? Yeah. So it's uh, that Dolce Gabbana light blue. It's actually from that that uh, subscription thing that you have now. The... Oh, Sempered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like changing it up. It's awesome. Yeah. So Sempered is really cool for people who don't like to go into stores and smell all the different you know, perfumes and colognes. It can be super overwhelming. All at once is too much. <laughs> yeah, you can't really even tell what the one smells like that you're spraying on the paper thing. Yeah, and then 
then if you think you like it and you're not sure, you have to spend like uh, 60 to 100 bucks on it. And right. it's just ridiculous. Right. So this is why this is perfect because you get to go online and you get to pick out five different perfumes or colognes that you think you will like. And they are like sample size bottles, but there's 120 sprays. So it's three months worth. That's so you awesome. still get a lot of like use out of it. And yeah, you get to pick what you want. It's really expensive brands. So if you don't want to spend, like you said, the $70, let's make sure that I like it first, you like it first, you know, wear it out a couple times and test it out. Yeah. And it's perfect for traveling too. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) Um, So there's an exclusive offer just for our listeners. You can get 50% off your first month today. And that's only $7.50 for your first like time doing this. Oh, that's... I mean, you yeah. can't beat that. So go to scentbird.com forward slash Coco and use my code Coco for 50% off your first month. It's spelled S-C-E-N-T-B-I-R-D.com forward slash Coco. So you can try your first perfume or cologne for just seven fifty. Sign on and smell amazing. Um, as far as the case itself, Victor, it's like, listen... I got to have something to work with. You know, we're looking for evidentiary value, something that we can use the newest science and technology to reevaluate it. Okay. So if there, was D- if there was DNA evidence collected 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Well, the DNA analysis is evolving almost every year where the amount, the sample size needed to get a DNA match 10 years ago is light years away from what it is now, right? Okay. You need half the, half the amount. So I'll look at all that evidence and say, is there something here that we can do? Is there a certain expert that I have in my Rolodex that I can call <laughs> on or fly them? In? Yeah, I'm going old school. And I don't, I don't, and I don't have a physical Rolodex, but yeah, my Rolodex in my head. Got and you. So is there, is there somebody that I can actually call in my my contact list? Let's see, make it for the millennials. Someone in my contact list. <laughs> there that you I can, go. <laughs> my iPhone that I can call and say, hey, listen, you know, uh, whether it's a forensic pathologist, a, a crime scene technician, a a serologist who specifies in blood, whatever it may be, is there someone that I can bring bring in who can contribute something to this that maybe this police department can't afford like we're bringing in some of the top experts okay. in the world gotcha, and, they're, gotcha, and, gotcha. and they're doing it under the discovery id budget so you know it's it's something where if i feel there's something there that i can do then that's that's a feather in their cap as far as them moving up the list and, and then it's also about witness testimony how old is the case if it's 30 years old are people still alive do they remember what happened mm-hmm. um all these little variables I'll kind of make an, uh, you know, an assessment as to is there something I can contribute or am I just coming there giving this family a false hope? Yeah. yeah. And if I feel there's something that we can do, that we can help, um, that's the cases that I choose. And then there's the other side to it, which is the, the TV side to it, where, you know, are these people local? Are they all still in the same community? Are we going to be able to film all of them? Are they willing to participate? All that comes into effect as well. But that's after... I decide which ones I think we can contribute to. So gotcha. they got to pass. They got to pass a few filters. But what it comes down to is we end up with probably twenty or thirty cases that fit that criteria, mm-hmm. and we just we go with the ones that work for us logistically. As far as you know, I just filmed a case in Kauai. I we saw had to take that. some. Yeah, we had to take some time off in between because the case before that was in California. However. If it was a case that I did a, even prior to that, which is Jacksonville, we probably wouldn't have done it because it's too mm. much travel with all the gear. Got you, got you, got so you. So and all all these variables play into it. A lot of it is above my pay grade. My only job is the investigation side to it. I am a producer on the show, but I only have that credit because I wanted to make sure that at the end of the day, I have 
oversight over what is being put in the shows, how yep. it's being really, cause I'm in still contact with all these families and I would never want to do anything that's going to disrespect them in any way, shape or form. So I always want that final say like, Hey, listen, I see the cuts before they air. I want to make sure they're at the level that they need to be for these families. Cause it's not just a TV show to them. Yeah. And, and it's funny you say that because the, the producer thing, because thinking of it now, I Nicole would go back on Big Brother, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I, I think so too. But I'd be skeptical because of that, right? Like doing like now that we got this podcast, we're we're the ones getting the talent and we're producing the show, right? Mm-hmm. And right. so going on something like another reality show where you have no control mm-hmm. does not seem as appealing to me anymore. Because you know we've I mean? seen what can be done. Exactly, because <laughs> it's you, it's you rolling the dice, and so I know it's just interesting that you said that because yeah, that that really does resonate, you know, with us or anybody that has been on TV in mm-hmm. some form. It's like you don't know what you're gonna get. You have no control. <laughs> no, no, and the three of us have been very fortunate. Yeah, we've been right. very fortunate where we've been on one side of it, but we've mm-hmm. all seen the other side of it. Where not mm-hmm. to go into specific things, but Nicole, Nicole can attest to something. There was something going on in our season between. A married woman. I can just say it, Christine and Cody. Yeah. And and, and, yeah. and to be honest with you, mm-hmm. some of it was a little weird, but I personally I yeah. personally didn't see it to the extent it was relayed on the show. See, I didn't like, watch I didn't watch it back to see how bad it was. I just saw like the I, aftermath of everyone being so Yeah, I didn't I yeah. didn't I didn't see it as bad in the house. And maybe I'm biased because I'm super close with Cody, but I, as a married man, I, I definitely saw some touching, but we all know everyone starts touching each other in that house. I was guilty of it. Victoria was rubbing my head too, but I didn't, I didn't get that edit necessarily. So it's all about, you know, perception and what makes the final cut. And, you well, know, I just tr- like with poor Caleb and Amber, yes, you yes. couldn't even see around the corner of, of like, it showed Caleb staring at Amber, like angry, mm-hmm. like all of yeah, like from when I so that's one of the ones that I actually did watch. And I don't think Caleb was like that. And for the no. viewer, <laughs> you get the point that he was like fishing and trying so hard like and he getting didn't, rejected. Like he had a crush and, and stuff, and like being all weird about but it. But no and, more than anybody else. Nope, no, nope, I didn't see it either. I completely agree. But I he's mean, like a lovable know. character, so it came out okay. Mm-hmm. But it could yeah. have been bad. Yeah. It was like but, and then look what happened. Caleb's a great example because once Amber left and they started to yep. like the way Caleb was playing, yeah. he got a completely different edit. Right. He got a completely different edit. So yeah, it, to the editing perspective, I completely agree with you, Victor, as mm-hmm. far as like, you know, going on these shows at first when you don't have a lot to lose, it's it's okay. And you know that they can't put words in your mouth, right? They can yeah. edit things to look a certain way, but they can't make you say something that you didn't say. Right. Um, so that that's one advantage you have. But, you know, having that final say and that is a peace of mind where even though I know I trust these guys, these people I work with, Big production company, a lot of yeah. good shows, Emmy nominated, Emmy winning shows, but I still want to have that control. Yeah. And to, and to Victor's point, to go back on another show, that's why when people ask me, like, would you go back on? It's not the main reason why I would probably not, but it's definitely a variable. Like, you know, you said I have the book, I have the show, I have my family. These are all things that are more important to me at this point than doing a reality show. And to go on there for my own benefit and have a negative response to that was yeah. it really worth was it really worth the risk? Yeah. What was it like going back to being a police officer after big after winning Big Brother? Because oh, you yeah. went back, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went back. People don't realize that I went back for three years. Yeah. yeah like that's I went crazy. back to work. Like I went back to work two weeks after it happened, and I was I was a sergeant. Uh, in patrol. So I was the guy in uniform stopping people. And um, 
you know, it, it was fine. You know, I, it was cool because I had a really good, you know, I had a really good edit as we were right. just talking about. I just about. feel like people and, would recognize you and be like, oh. Yeah. Are you giving well, tickets part, to people that recognize you? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, here's the thing. The funny thing is I got in a little bit of trouble because I had to go to Midnight's for a while because basically people were coming to the station a lot. Mm. And oh. the chief the chief was getting aggravated with that. And as far as tickets, <laughs> and, and, and he, he didn't like that. And as far as the ticket thing, like, and I don't just say this, anyone who knows me from the town will know the biggest thing that I got in trouble for is I wouldn't write tickets. Like I'll make a million arrests because I wanted to get the bad guys, but I mm-hmm. didn't, I wasn't a believer in tickets unless it was like a DUI or something. Because for me as a kid who grew up in the city where I worked, I was one of four and we had no money. Yeah. And I remember being in situations where my dad would be in the wrong or my mom would be in the wrong and they wouldn't have their seatbelt on or something. And this cop would come over and give them a ticket. And that cop didn't realize how much that $75 meant to mm, our family. Yeah, mm-hmm. Like, yep. that's critical. That's critical. Yeah. And so I I could, even if they were in the wrong, they had, it was very difficult for me to write tickets. So we don't have quotas in law enforcement, but if they do measure your productivity. And I would stop people, but unless it was a drug-related stop or, you know, I'm looking for something bigger, I usually gave verbal warnings. So I always had the lowest numbers, and they would always come to me and say, hey, Derek, you know, we're assuming if we're stopping these cars legally, you have probable cause. Why aren't you issuing the tickets? And I would explain to them this exact reason I just explained to you. And they never really pushed too hard because legally they can't. They can't force me to give a ticket. Yeah. Um, but that was my biggest MO. Everyone knew that on the job. Like, you have a bag of drugs on you, I'm, I'm, I'm no breaks. But if you have a traffic violation and you're not endangering someone else, mm-hmm. I usually I usually would let it go. But, yeah, I think that's that, that level of empathy and understanding that it may just be like a $75 ticket to you, which you can afford. How do you know that that family can afford it? You know, you don't yeah. know the, the yeah. you don't know the the underlayings of that person's life right now and how much that seventy five hundred dollar ticket affects them personally. So, yeah. I'm and really honestly, to stay away from tickets. getting pulled over for me is scary enough without the ticket. Like, <laughs> Nicole, Nicole, everything's scary for you. I, I just I've gotten pulled over a couple times, but I just kind of get really teary-eyed and i've never gotten a ticket so. oh my god i i think you were to pass out i'd be like damn you're all set you can go, you can go. just go sweaty pits no yeah. you're absolutely right yeah i've read about that on, on on several different things you know the those income levels and how how something like that does affect people i mean i read oh, a story man. this guy he had hadn't paid tickets on his car and he was going that day to go pay those tickets finally and then since he had tickets, he got a boot for not paying the tickets the day he was oh. going to pay the, you know what I mean? Yep, and yep, then he I, has a family that, and they're in lower income and they can't afford yep. that. And now he has to get the boot off of the car. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like a, a, a revolving door and mm-hmm. it, it's, it's really sad to see it, especially when you can't afford it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. So, and that's why people that have problems with law enforcement, I always say, well, join because you can be the difference, you know, like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Police officers do have a lot of discretion and we can get into a really deep topic here. But, you know, society and its lack of trust for law enforcement right now, there is a way to change that. I truly believe that it's going to take a lot of time. Yeah. But it starts with the guys on the ground. And what I mean by the guys on the ground is the patrolmen, the people who are having interactions with Mm -hmm. with these the community every day Mm -hmm. and training them better enforcing you know the level of empathy that needs to be had not all officers are from the community in which they serve yeah and that that's also a problem because if that officer lives and grew up in an affluent community he may not understand or she may not understand the effect not having that extra hundred dollars can have on a family so it's it's important to re you know reinvest in your guys and let them know to make sure they get out of their cars and talk to the people they're serving so that they understand better 
the people that they're dealing with because they may not necessarily be in the same situation that they're currently in. So that's, that's something that I always tried to enforce when I was out there. I always enforce it with my guys. I'm very lucky in the sense that even now, you know, even after being on TV, nothing ever came about out about me being a bad cop because I always treated everyone with mm-hmm. respect and dignity. And I grew up in the community where I work. So even though I made a lot of arrests, I made a lot of arrests. I put a lot of people in jail for a long time. Even those guys, unless it involved kids, you know, if it was something against a crime against a child, those guys didn't really like me. I'll be honest. I, <laughs> I, I, I treated them pretty poorly. I'll say that always within the law, but they knew I didn't like them. We'll just say mm-hmm. that. Um, but, but anyone else for that, anyone else, you know, even if you got arrested for drugs, I would make it very clear that it wasn't personal. It's a business. It's a game. And you got caught. And yeah. by doing that and still treating them like humans and not animals, they respected the fact that they got got. Yeah. Right. They, yeah. they got caught. And that's the end of it. And they, we would have relationships afterwards. You know, these guys would get out. If there was a murder or something, I could go to them and say, hey, what do you know about this? And in a lot of cases, they would tell me. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's, all about, it's all yeah. about building relationships and treating people fairly, even in bad situations. Because what I've realized is even sometimes good people make bad decisions. Yeah. So not everyone who commits a crime or commits a mistake is at the core a bad person. And you have mm-hmm. to always treat people and give them the benefit of the doubt until they prove otherwise. Yep, that's what I try to do all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that was great. We yeah. went on we went on a little tangent there. That was, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, no. It, I'm it's, just enjoying listening to the show. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. So Nicole, you know I envy you because why? You can read books. Yeah, I do. Like I I just don't have the attention span to sit there and read page after page of a book and it's just really i didn't know that about you yeah i like i like reading articles and like you know news articles and short excerpts and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. i came across this app and it's called blinkist okay and so blinkist basically what they do is they get nonfiction like books and Mm -hmm. they'll condense them down into like 15 minute like readable or audible Set, like oh. excerpts for you it'll okay. like summarize the whole book for you oh wow and i think it's freaking awesome because it's almost for me it's almost like reading a really good article in a magazine right. you know or online yeah. and i don't have to spend you know the two three hundred pages you know to go through yeah, it so, that's really cool yeah it's really it's really cool and they have this book on there so i'll do it like instead of like scrolling through social media on my phone mm-hmm. i'll just pull up an article and i'll read a little bit or on my drive to work i'll listen to a couple yeah, yeah and then i can say oh you know i I read four books today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. But it's true. And so like one of the ones that I want to start uh, is like the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss. Oh, okay. Yeah, I heard great things about that. When my boss told me about this one actually and mm-hmm. she said it was great for her and she's a very successful businesswoman. And mm-hmm. so that's something that I want to try. So if you guys are like me and you're not like so keen on reading a whole book, but you want to try this app that'll, you know, Blinkist, yeah. condense everything in 15 minutes for you right now for a limited time. Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Coco to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Coco to start your seven-day free trial. Remember, Blinkist.com slash Coco. So what we're going to do with you now, Derek, is we're going to transition into our Spanish word of the day. Okay. Great. So I'm going to give... Estoy, estoy aprendiendo español poquito. Ah, he's learning a little bit of Spanish. Cool. Yeah. 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 All right. So I'm going to say the word and then you and Nicole can talk it out, try to figure out what it is. Um, so the Spanish word of the day is 
Mente. It's spelled M-E-N-T-E. A mentor? Mente. No. I mente. always that do. What, I just do it always what the word looks like. <laughs> that sounds so familiar. I, mente, mente. Doesn't that mean brain or mind? Yes. Oh, okay. it means mind. Yeah. Nice. Mind, mind. Yes. There we go. Yep. 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 <laughs> Good job, Good Derek. Good job, Derek. Well, again. <laughs> Again, the community I worked in, most of the population was Hispanic. So I tried, oh. you know, learning, you know, you know, cuál es su nombre, fecha de nacimiento, you oh, know, right. you know, we had to know those things because in that moment you have to understand the, the the general stuff because it could be a life or death situation. Yeah, you don't know who the person is. He can be a murderer. That's right. Yep. Um, yep. So with mind, we want to transition into mind of a serial killer, which I feel Ooh. like you would be somebody to talk to about that. I know you're no, no psychologist or you're not a murderer, but you investigate people and do these investigations and come across, you know, I'm sure in your 10 years of service. 13, right? 13. Thirteen, yep, 13, 13 thir- in law enforcement, and I'm at fifteen now with private. Okay, so in, in yep. your inexperience, uh, I, I'm assuming you've come across serial killers or some murderers. Yep. Some we did one last season, exactly. And so, are there any similarities? Like, how? What is it like talking to these guys? Like, I imagine one is it really freaking scary. Right yeah. to talk to, like they're just gonna reach over the table type thing. And I don't know. I just <laughs> see the I see the documentaries and movies, and that's about it. Yeah, tell us right. about that. So uh, I have never personally interrogated a serial killer. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I would love that opportunity, but I definitely have seen a lot of research on it. I've 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 watched a lot of tapes on uh, serial killers. I've never personally interviewed one, thankfully, in that sense, you know, but I did do a serial killer case last year in Honolulu. It was the Honolulu Strangler. And essentially, um, this individual was finding unsuspecting women who were looking for transportation. He would say, hey, I got a van, come with me. And then four or five days later, they would be found uh, naked in a body of water. Oh, Um, my gosh. And as far as the psychology behind, uh, you know, serial killers, I'm no forensic psychologist. But for me, there is a level of narcissism there, right? Mm -hmm. There's a level of they want to paint their own narrative. Like when serial killers are caught, in a lot of cases, you know, they may be responsible for 10 murders, but they'll tell you they're responsible for 40. They're trying to, you know, boost their own, boost their own legacy. Right. So there is a level of narcissism there. I just talked about this with Dr. Oz the other day. We were talking about the Zodiac killer. Yeah. Um, The Zodiac killer. That was, that's insane. Insane. But look at him. He actually, this individual, if it's a him, was writing these letters, these, you know, these cryptograms or whatever you want to call them to try and have a code that the police could try and crack. But again, why would you do that if you don't want to be caught? You're just allow. you're giving, that's, that's the ego. Right. Yeah. That's saying, hey, not only did I commit these crimes, but I'm smarter than you and yeah. I'm going to prove it. You've seen it with the Unabomber. The Unabomber was the, the guy who was basically, you know, setting off these small bombs and locations, killing people. And he, they really had no clue who he was until he wrote this manifesto. And then they brought in people who were experts in handwriting and linguistics and all these things. And they were able to decipher it and they tracked it back to an MIT professor. That's how they caught the Unabomber. Mm. So again, their egos get in their own way to an extent, but they're, but they're very dangerous people because they don't value life the same way we do. And in some cases, even though they're criminals, they're extremely intelligent. And that's a dangerous combination because Mm -hmm. not all cops are geniuses. And we're dealing with people who, like I said, a former MIT professor. Yeah, this guy, (laughs) he's he's the real deal. Yeah. And and he has this, you know, 
it's not necessarily he wants to kill people like he doesn't like killing dead animals, but he wants to get a, a message out there. And that message may have something to do with society or the climate or whatever it may be. And they think this shock value is the only way to get that point across. Mm-hmm. So those people are extremely dangerous. And then you have someone like the Zodiac who was essentially just killing people to kill them. You know, he's yeah. raping them, killing them. You have the Golden State Killer. Have you guys heard about that one? No, tell us about that. That's a great case. That's a case that if you like true crime. Mm-hmm. I love true you crime. Need to, you need to look into this because this is, in my opinion, some of the best investigative work that's ever been done. So to give you the short version of it, Golden State Killer was in California. Um, I believe, don't hold me to these numbers, he killed 12 people, but he raped and he raped many more women. There was, you know, he would, this guy was so verbose about what he would do. He would break into a home, um, tie the individuals up at knife point, and could be a husband and wife, rape the wife right in front of the husband. Oh, my God. And then some of them survived, some of them he would kill them. Mm. Um, but this was a guy who went on for years, and nobody ever found out who it was, right? Nobody ever found out. Would he do well, these, like, with a mask on? Or? Yep, he would do them with a mask. He would do them with a, uh, a ski mask on. One guy, and he was all over California, specifically in the Sacramento area, in the San Francisco area. But all over the, all over California, and he kind of just went off the radar after a while, and nobody really knew why. Well, fast forward to, um, to last year. This is like 30 years later. What they did was, this is so genius, they had DNA from some of these crime scenes. However, the person that committed the crime had never been arrested, so their DNA wasn't in the system. Yeah. Code, it, it wasn't in CODIS. So you can't identify the person if you don't have a a sample to compare it to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so they had this dna sample and they're like shit we can't we know that we got the guy's dna but we can't match it to anyone so what they did was you have all these genealogical databases now right like 23andme ancestry Ancestry. ancestry.com right it's a plug for ancestry congratulations shout out to you (laughs) right so they based they they made a profile the investigators the cold case investigators made a profile and they've sent in the suspect's DNA instead of their own. Oh. And so they made this profile with the suspect's DNA, because you have to give a sample of your DNA uh-huh. for those, these profiles. And it came back with familial DNA matches, so people who were related to their suspect. No way. And they basically mm-hmm. were able to track it down, map out the individuals who were related to these people, and actually identified a former police officer as the Golden State Killer. No oh my God. way. Yes, yes. They, they got him. He's in jail. He's like 60 years old now. He's going through trial. Wow. Um, and, and, and this is all because of their work. And the, when I heard that they put it into the database, I was like, that's fucking genius. That, yeah. yeah. No, I, would, I wouldn't even think to do that. You know I what I know, mean? And, <laughs> I know. And that's why I was like, damn, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. But, and, and now there's, you know, there's some restrictions where some of these databases, because, you know, people are like, oh, well, I don't want to submit my DNA now because I could be, you know, found out to be a serial killer. So yeah. they have put some restrictions on some of the websites, but there are still some that allow you to do it. Mm-hmm. And what a great tool. What a simple, you know, sometimes the simplest answer is the right answer. Mm-hmm. Like, what a great practical approach. And it solved a case that has been haunting families for years like a lot of the victims who are still alive they they didn't have that closure yeah and now and now they do it's just a great story great peak of a piece of investigative work and there's so many examples like i you know 
I'm constantly learning and things like this, like by no means, just because I'm on TV doesn't make me the best investigator. It just makes yeah. me someone who, who, who wants to do better and wants to learn more. And mm-hmm. I'm constantly evolving. I get to work with detectives throughout the country and, you know, learn from them as well. And like I said, last year we worked on the Honolulu Strangler case. We solved that case. Oh, we you solved did. It. Yeah. Unfortunately, the guy's dead, but we actually were able to tell the family um, we had the mayor of this of the city at the time confirm publicly that we were right. They just didn't have enough to charge him. Oh, um, and okay. this was information that the family wasn't aware of. Yeah. So to have that closure for them um, was That's incredible. Big. We, That's huge. Yeah, it, was, it was great. One of the victims, uh, we worked with her brother, and her his the victim's mother was kind of old, and you know she was she was losing her her, her mental stability. And uh, two weeks after we told them what had happened. The brother emailed me and said, Derek, I just, they're Hawaiian, very cultural people, very spiritual. Mm-hmm. He said, listen, I want to let you know that I told my mother what had happened and who did it. And within a week, she passed away. Mm-hmm. And I know that it was because she finally let go. Yeah, like closure. So yeah, I want to thank you for that because we didn't have that for the last 30 years. So mm-hmm. that's why we do what we do right there, you know? Wow, yeah. that's chilling. How did you get, how did this show come about? Like yeah. our- it just came out of the blue. <laughs> <laughs> it, dude, it's so funny. It's so funny. So Big Brother happens and, and mm-hmm. you guys can attest to this. Big Brother happens and then right after Big Brother you have like the literally the day the day after you have like those press release, right? You have like mm-hmm. all this you have to do your media obligations, all this stuff. And Sean, who you guys both know, yeah. um, said to me, Hey, there's this agent, they want to speak with you. Are you do you want to do it? And I said, Nah, I'm good. And they said, No, you should probably do it. He's you know, uh, on the bigger size, Harry Gold, you should do it. And I said, okay, I'll call him. Mm-hmm. Call him. He says, listen, I didn't really watch Big Brother. But my daughter did. She's a huge fan of yours, but I'd like to work with you down the road. And I said, I'm not interested in doing reality TV or acting. It's right. just not my thing. I'm flying home. He said, no, that's not what I want to do. I want I wanted you to work in true crime. So I said, well, I'll meet up with you. I mm-hmm. lied. I didn't. I went home. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he calls me when i'm home he says listen i want to fly you out i have some opportunities for you mm-hmm. i fly out there i realize the guy's legitimate we start to go around to different networks and this idea for a show to reinvestigate the oj simpson case comes mm-hmm. up yeah and it was basically a guy who believed that oj didn't do it and that his son did and they were looking for two people to come on independently and evaluate his work so we did that show. It was six episodes. It was a series. We were fortunate enough where it was one of the highest rated shows they've ever had. That's so awesome. I don't, I don't know if that was us or OJ, but it was highly rated. <laughs> so uh, um, from that, they basically said, well, we want you to do what you just did there. But for families who aren't famous, who don't have the notoriety that they have that, but to still deserve justice. Yeah. yeah. And so we did that. It came, you know, the, the Breaking Homicide show mm-hmm. evolved from that mm-hmm. and loved it. We did one season last year. It was me and this Dr. Chris Mohandi, good friend of mine, good colleague. This year, however, I'm by myself. Oh, I was wondering um, if it was the same, you were with the same guy or not. Nope. No, I'm by myself. And it's wow. some, some family. Yeah. And Chris and I are still extremely close. Uh-huh. Um, he, we, he has some, he works on some other shows mm-hmm. as far as like, you know how we have a, psycholog- a psychiatrist for yeah. a Big Brother? Mm-hmm. He does that for a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. He has a son in California. So he didn't, he didn't like being on the road. Mm-hmm. Got and you. I, they had talked about getting me someone else. And then we just decided, they decided that they wanted me to do it alone and see if I could carry the weight. And um, did it we go actually well? did more. It went really well. Good. It really did. I'm, ex- I'm super excited about the season. There's some amazing cases. We really made some great strides. I'm hoping we have a couple of rests. And, and you know, we'll, 
we'll see how it goes. But we just finished filming. We're doing post-production now. The show airs in June. Okay. And, and I'm extremely excited about it. Last year, we did six cases. They were two hours each. Mm -hmm. This year, to get more cases done, because there's so many people that ask, we did eight cases, one hour each. Okay. Okay, that's all. And so, how does it feel now being? Because that's so your job, you, yeah. you know, that you're you're a TV person, right? That's yeah, I know it's weird, but yeah. doing what you love, yeah, not, but doing yeah. what you love, right? You're not just best of both worlds, being drama, right. you know, right? That's that's the key, right there, isn't it? Right, like like the people who do the best in those types of roles are people who are just doing what they would do every day, anyways. Yeah, yeah. Like so if, if there was no TV camera there, I, I would still be doing a lot of these cases with my firm. The only difference is I wouldn't probably be doing cases to this caliber, you know, yeah. because in a lot of situations, police departments won't allow private investigators to come in from the outside because I think it's some of it's an ego thing. And then some yeah. of it is that not all investigators are created equal. And yeah. how yeah. do you evaluate them if they don't have any history? But I think being former law enforcement really helps. Mm -hmm. um, so that so, yeah, it works out. And it has opened some doors. I love the show. I, I will I'll do the show as long as I can, as long as they allow me to. Mm -hmm. To be honest with you, the book is probably the bigger accomplishment for me. I, I never thought I would write a book. <laughs> I spent two years writing it, and it's probably one of my proudest things. I wrote it for my kids you know, and my wife to just say, hey, listen, I never was the smartest guy in school, but if you take your time and you put your mind to it, you can accomplish great things. And it was kind of my way to like decompress and get the first chapter of my life off you know, on the books and yeah. move on with the second chap half. And it was, uh, yeah, I read it. It was, it was really good. And that is probably a huge, I mean, a huge, uh, sitting down and writing like yeah. that much. And I cannot it, even yeah, <laughs> something to be proud of. For yeah. Sure. I tell Nicole she that she should write a book or even myself, not even to like publish out, but just have something on paper for like my future kids or grandkids or their, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's cathartic. It's yeah. cathartic. No joke. It's cathartic. It literally, you like I was, I was giving, like I was giving some pointers and some some suggestions for my readers to do in their life as far as their family, friends and their health. And what I realized is I wasn't even doing some of those things, <laughs> even though I knew they were right. Yeah. So it's like a reality check. It's like, shit, you're, you're saying this, like, you know, spend more time with your family, do these certain things, prioritize. And there are situations where you're not even doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You find and, yourself not doing it and you're right? the one yes. giving the advice. <laughs> yes. 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 So what you do is you say, okay, this is good. This is good. I need to reevaluate how I conduct myself. And honestly, big brother, the book, these moments where you get to reflect because mm -hmm. you have nothing but time, yeah. it does change the course. You get off track a little bit and taking a second to check yourself while you're writing this because I'm editing this book and looking at it and really reading what I wrote and realizing that's the right thing to do. But am I practicing what I preach? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and in some cases I was and in some cases I, I wasn't. And that's why. Yeah, the book was great. The response was even better. I did a book tour for it. I've heard so many, you know, we just passed 10,000 sold books, which is not by any means, uh, you know, a New York Times bestseller. But for someone like me who was on Big Brother and, then, you know, that's a, that was a great accomplishment. Yeah. Even yeah. if I sold 100 books, right. I would have been happy. So mm -hmm. it was, it's been great. It's really probably one of my proudest moments. Like I went, I went back to school. I got my degrees. I got a master's and all that. That, that that pales in comparison to like mm -hmm. being a published author. Like I, I just I love that about what I was able to do, and that's honestly one of the proudest things I've ever done. Yeah, that's awesome. that is really cool, and I envy people that like keep journals. 
because um, I, I know I know people that have them since they were like a kid. Right, I and buy can, them, but I don't know, use and them. And they can pull it out and yeah. see, you know, September 15th, uh, 19, you know, yeah. whatever. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, crap, you know, that's yeah. really, really neat. Um, yep. So, yeah. You guys should. You guys should write one. You should try to do one together. I'll tell you, man, those literally, the editing process is extremely stressful because you have someone, you, if, you, if you're published, you have a publisher that's, editing your book after you write it so you put your heart into this book and, and then they like rip, destroying they rip, it <laughs> they, they fucking destroy it and you're, and you're like wow like i really i suck and, and so i'll tell you like if you guys try i mean there's always something there. you just have to find your niche what you want to do but what an amazing experience and like mm-hmm. again to put it in words like a tv show it's great you're, they're just filming you in your element but mm-hmm. i was really conscientious about what i wrote how i wrote it what i was trying to convey and when someone comes up to you and they're like i got it and they, they tell you what you, they thought you were trying to say and it's right it's the best feeling in the world how it long really did it is. take you to to write the book the, the whole process because you write a um you write like a, a a pitch, like a proposal, and then you go through the you know you actually write the book. Probably about a year and a half, but yeah. two years in total. Mm-hmm. And I was writing every night. It is not. It depends on the type of book you want to write. But my book's all over two hundred pages, almost three hundred pages. So yeah. my book, it took a lot, and it was a lot of research because I'm talking about how you can take undercover techniques, how you can take a business background and combine the two to interact and communicate with people on a daily basis better, right? And mm-hmm. so I didn't talk a lot about Big Brother in there. I gave a couple examples, but for the most part, I was basically showing people how to play the life of Big Brother, right? Like, you yeah. know, how yeah. you interact with people on a daily basis, even you guys on your podcast, how do you elicit specific responses mm-hmm. to the questions you ask and how you pose them? All of that matters. It almost matters more than the degree you have. Being able to communicate with people mm-hmm. in law enforcement could be a life or death situation. Oh, yeah. So being able to communicate with people on that level and translating it into practical situations in business and in just social encounters mm-hmm. is extremely helpful. It's extremely helpful. And so I really felt like I had something to say that hadn't been said in that way yet. Mm-hmm. And that's why I decided to do it. And, and I was really happy with the uh, overall product well that that's awesome man i'm we're really happy for you really looking forward you know to your show uh the next season coming out um yep june june it'll be the beginning of june i can't say the date yet but it's coming and so uh one last thing uh i think you we we had a weird or normal but i think you kind of answered it so we we, we do this segment it's called weird or normal and uh we'll say something that either nicole does or i do but in this case uh we're it's a criminal criminal does so what a criminal does that you know we might think is weird but is actually normal uh okay and for this one it was nicole do you remember it was um so when the criminal like they come they do their crime but they like to stay around the crime scene or like mm-hmm. or like the crime itself like the investigation in, inside like yeah stay nearby and be in the know uh-huh. right so you uh-huh. see that is that more common than not I think it's more common with like 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 you would say like a serial killer or a serial arsonist, someone who basically the gratification for them is admiring their work. Mm-hmm. So we see it a lot with like what are the investigative tools that we use? If you have an arson and the house goes up in flames, one thing that we'll do as investigators when we show up is grab the names and date of births of everybody who's watching the scene. Mm. because you know because we want to have a record of everybody who was there nice. when the when the house was burning up now they may yeah. that may come out to be nothing right however if we find that there's a name you know that keeps popping up 
and we go back and look at the list of people that were standing around that night, what are the chances that they, you know, that that all connects? So, yeah. you know, you an arsenic situation, you may you have, you know, killers sometimes who will take mementos from the per- victim, the body or whatever. So, yeah, there is some sadistic level of like, these people are sick in the head. And, yeah. and they, you know, they obviously are for to do these things to people and to think it's OK and mm-hmm. to get gratification out of it. But, yeah, you will find situations where the reward for them is seeing the fallout, seeing police officers and firefighters running into a burning building, seeing people hurt. That's the gratification for them. They want the most destruction possible. So it's very weird. It's not something a normal person would do. Mm-hmm. But in the first place, a normal person wouldn't set a house on fire. Yeah. So so, yeah, they, they do things that. But again. I'm fortunate, we're fortunate that they do do things like that because that's how they end up getting caught. Yes, exactly. All right, cool. And I think we did have questions, but I think you literally covered every single one except for Randy wants to know if Big Brother had an all-star, would you do it? Oh, my God. (laughs) I'd only do it if Nicole and Victor do it. No, I mean, listen, listen, we honestly covered it. You know, there's there's a million things we could talk about for reasons not wanting to. For me... The biggest reason is my daughters are six and three now. Yeah. They they get upset when I leave for five days to go right. film an episode. It's traumatic for them. And as much as people are like, oh, you just don't want to do it because you'll get voted out. Listen, here's the deal. <laughs> if I didn't have kids and I didn't have, you know, uh, obligations here, if Big Brother wanted to pay me a bunch of money and go in there and get voted out first, it'd be the quickest money I've ever made in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah. I, I really genuinely do not care about the bb legacy i love big brother Mm -hmm. but i don't care about it it's a game show and it was fun it was a great time Mm -hmm. i respect the game i always go back and as you do nicole as you do victor like you just got engaged in the house we that's a fraternity that will always be part of and i love it and i had such a great first season Nicole, you've talked about this numerous times. I've seen, heard your podcast. I've we've spoken, uh, you know, personally. Yeah. Your second experience, even though you won, was completely different <laughs> yeah. from the first one. True. Yeah. yeah. And and and, and it, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is it safe to say it kind of changed your opinion a little bit on the game, even though you won? Just yeah, it's just a completely different feeling about it. Right. Um, right. You had sixteen oh. was so great, and that's the season you won. That. I don't blame you for not. Did we not have a blast? Like it was not even work at all. It I was know. Not I got, we had yeah, so because much fun. you were controlling everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still okay, had fun, fair. and I had no idea what was going on. So I think it was fun for the people being controlled and controlling. So. I, it was such a great experience. Like I, I value every moment of that, even the lows where things didn't go my way. And it's mm-hmm. like it was like it, I know we were playing a game. I know it was for money, but we all kind of like. What we ca- had so much, so much, so much fun. I, don't, like I wouldn't a, want to change yeah. that. It was a carefree summer. Like, honestly, it really was. And I it feel really like was. for you, even though you won and you did so well, um, it wasn't like too exhausting for you to where on 18, it was, it was, maybe it was exhausting. I don't know, but it no, was, you worked, you worked in season 18. 18 sure. was like exhausting to where it wasn't fun. Even when things were going my way, you know, right. no, it's a lot of work. And I mean, I will say this, it was a lot of work for me, but it's almost like a job you love if you love mm-hmm. the job you're doing even when it's a lot of work it doesn't feel like work yeah and so i had such a great occasion would i come back that i don't want to say 100 percent no mm-hmm. but i don't have anything to prove to myself i i don't as we victor said earlier you don't control the variables that you're playing against mm-hmm. and the, you know i i, I Ultimately, I don't think there's a situation where I could leave for yeah. that amount of time. If they did like a uh, accelerated 
30 day version mm -hmm. i guess maybe so maybe celeb ever, big brother yeah but, but would <laughs> they ever do that nicole they're never going to no. do that because that 100 days is where they get all the advertisement is where they make all the money yeah yeah so i don't know but no i never say no but i i would say you have more of a chance of me um signing up for the circus than you do with me <laughs> going on big brother again yeah well all right that's awesome yeah uh, thanks for joining us that this was, was a so great. great conversation so where um where can people find you yeah and your show uh okay yeah so social media i got a lot so social media is uh at derek l for twitter at Derek Lavasser for uh, Instagram. Um, you can go to um, uh, officialderek.com. That's usually updated with all the stuff coming up. And also, if for some reason you want to find more about investigative stuff, you can go to thebreakgroup.com. Um, that's the my private investigations uh, firm website. Mm -hmm. And then I would I would implore people if they want, they can go on Amazon, check out the book. It's a really yeah. good book. I'd love to talk mm -hmm. about it. It's called The Undercover Edge. Mm -hmm. uh, and then finally, Breaking Homicide, June. Check it out. All right, oh, cool. perfect. And I'll just close this out here, uh, so mm -hmm. you, you'll hear the the close out live. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I love it. <laughs> no, so uh, yeah. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can uh, listen to us on anywhere you listen to podcasts. It can be on iTunes Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or you can go to www.cococalientepodcast.com dot com and listen there. And we also have some merchandise there, mm -hmm. uh, if you'd like. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And uh, thank you so much. Yeah.